The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Okay. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. And we're going to be in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 3. And uh, while you're turning there, uh, let me just welcome you. My name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the church. And uh, we've been going through the book of Galatians for uh, about seven weeks now. And so you found us in uh, chapter three, which is a great uh, place to jump in and start uh, joining us. While you're turning there, I want to uh, bring your attention to uh, what Paul says, who is the writer of Galatians, of first importance. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, hey, I want to remind you of something that is, that is vital, something that is uh, very, very important to our faith. He says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Everyone say gospel. He says, I want to remind you of the good news. That's what gospel means. I want to remind you of the gospel, and I preached it to you. So I preached some news to you. I preached to you some good news, and you received it. Everyone say received. So this good news is something that is proclaimed, and it is also something that we receive. And we receive it by faith. And so when we put our faith in Christ, that's what it means to receive the gospel. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, that you received, in which you now stand. Everyone say stand. And so he he says, I preached this to you, you received it, and you are standing in it. You're standing in the good news. And by which you are being saved. Everyone say saved. So this is the good news that you receive by faith, that you stand in by faith, and that you are saved through faith if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, if you hold fast to the gospel, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you of first importance, this is the most important thing of all that I say, what you also received, that Christ died for our sins, accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. This week, um, I had a pretty great week. Anybody else have a good week? Uh, Monday, I was, it was my day off, and I was uh, hanging out with my son, and we decided to take an adventure uh, into the creek. And, and so our neighborhood uh, has a creek that kind of runs through it, all right? So we like to play in the creek. Anybody else, creek, creek people, we like to play in the creek? Okay, so uh, we went down, and we just started exploring through the creek. And there's a point of the creek where the road of the neighborhood actually passes over the creek. You with me on this? Okay, and so right under the road where the road was built over the creek, they built some like uh, some concrete walls, and, and along the walls they have a, a concrete uh, floor. So it's like the creek bed stops, there's concrete, it's like a tunnel under the road, and then the creek starts again. You're with me on that? Okay, and so what we would do, we got this idea, he actually got this idea, he's like, yeah, let's do this thing. And he says, let's ride our bikes through the tunnel emptying out into the creek. And so right where the concrete ends and the creek starts again, there's like this drop-off because all the water flows down there, and it's like three or four feet deep. It's pretty awesome, right? And so what we would do is we'd go down, and we would get on our bikes, and we'd go on one end of the tunnel, and we'd start riding real fast, and we'd spill out into the creek. And we're like, this is amazing. This is awesome. And we'd do it again and again. And then I was like, oh, you know what? We would make this better. Is if we made this, this like little ramp. 
And so we found some like big flat rocks out of the creek and we began to prop them up at the end of the concrete, right, right before the spillway. And, and we ride and I try it and I bump up off the rock and land in the water. I mean, it's awesome. We're like, that is sweet. Get some air, buddy. And he goes and he gets some air and we do it. And I say, you know what would make this better? Is if we actually made a ramp. And we put it at the end, and we'd ramp off. That way we can get more air, like the X Games. <laughs> and so we, uh, we go home, and we found some, some wood, you know, some scrap stuff. And we're like, okay, let's make this ramp. And we spent some time making this ramp. And this ramp, uh, I mean, it was sweet. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's aerodynamic. It's about, it's about a foot, maybe 14 inches off the ground. I mean, it, this thing is awesome, right? But before we take it all the way down to the creek, we've got to try it out. I mean, wouldn't you want to try it out? So I'm like, okay, let's try it out. And so Dominic's like, where, where are we going to? I'm like, just put it right there in the road. I'll just jump off it, and we'll, we'll make it happen. Well, I was riding Ellie's bike, uh, which um, it's a mountain bike. It's just purple. So uh, I, I was on the bike, and I go off the ramp the first time. And I, I get the air. I'll, you know, I do a sidekick or something. No, I didn't really do that. Uh, and then I land, and then I realize that her her, the, the rubber grips on her handles are a little loose. And so I land, and they start to slip off. And this one almost came off completely. And I, man, I was, I was like, uh-oh. Like, that, like, that could have been bad. That could have been bad. But I didn't wreck. And I'm like, okay, let me try it one more time. This time, I know the grips are loose, so I'm going to hold on real tight this time, right? Well, the second time, I go off. I get more air. And guess what? The grips come off, and I Bill right there in the middle of the road. I mean, I've got road, I mean, I've got marks on my hands, I've got marks on my side, I got marks on my back. And and I I'm laying there in the road, and Dominic's like, <laughs> Dad, are you alright? I get up, mm. I'm alright. Stupid bike. I got the grip in my hand. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. No matter how tight you hold on, that there is nothing that you can do on your own efforts to make your way to God. No matter how loose your grips get, it doesn't matter how tight you hold. Only thing that's going to bring us to a point where we get to know God for eternity is faith. And so some of us, we try to hold on so tight. We're like, no, 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 I can do this, right? I can hold on tight enough to make it. I, you know, my handlebar is a little, a little shaky. I'm not, I mean, this is, this is not the best bike. But I think that through my own efforts and my own strength and my own ability, I can hold on tight enough to somehow make it. And you're here and you're exhausted. And Paul is saying, listen, all through this letter, all through Galatians, he's saying, no, 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 it's by faith. You can't grip it. You can't hold it tight enough. You can't make it. You just have to believe. And over and over again, Paul is pleading with the Galatians, and he's pleading with us. Listen, it's not by works. It's not by the law that makes you right before God. It's only through putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And it comes to a point for you and me to ask ourselves, what are we doing with our, are, are, we, are we receiving it? I mean, are we standing in the promises of God or have we just simply received it and say, okay, yeah, I'm good. But now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to white knuckle this thing and I'm going to make it. I'm going to make this thing go straight. 
Even if it kills me, and the problem is, is your handlebars keep slipping. I mean, you keep losing grip, and you keep spilling, and you get up, and you're like, man, I'm going to do it again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this thing happen. And, and Paul and God and Christ is saying, no, 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 no. It's by faith. It's by faith. And that's the argument. Now, let's catch you up in Galatians. So Galatians chapter 3, go ahead and, and get there. Uh, so in Galatians 3, he's talking about how we're not saved through works of the law. We're not saved by doing something that's pleasing. We actually are saved by faith. And so in Galatians 3, 9, we're going to get to our text in just a minute. But I'm going to back up into 3, 9. And he says, so then, those who are of faith, everyone say faith. Everyone who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so God comes to Abraham and gives him a promise, and he says, listen, you're, you're going to receive that promise through faith just like Abraham did. And then in verse 14, which we covered last week, it says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So this is what he's saying. Gentiles are the rest of the world besides the Jews. And so he's saying, listen, I want to bless not only the religious Jews, but I want to bless the whole world. And so all, it comes to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through what? Through faith. And so he says, he says, the way that we receive the promise, the way that we receive the Spirit is simply through faith, which leads us to our text. He wants to give us an example. How does this look? What does this look like? Verse 15. I want to give you a human example, brothers. Even with a man-made covenant, a man-made promise... No one annuls it. That means, that means changes it. No one voids it out. Even if you were to make a promise to another man, no one comes and changes or voids it or adds to it once it's been accepted, once it's been ratified. Okay? So here's the picture. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Hear me, it does not say and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Everyone say Christ. So the offspring is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, the commandments, which came 430 years afterwards, does not void a covenant previously Accepted, previously ratified by God. So as to make the promise void. Everyone say promise. For if the inheritance, say inheritance. If the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise. Say promise. But if God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now let me clear that up for you because he's using a lot of legal talk there. Anyone confused? I was. So Paul is wanting to give an example of how we're saved by faith and not through the law or through works. So why are we made God, made right before God through faith and not by keeping the commandments? How is it that we are made right before God through faith alone and not by works of the law? So he's using an example of a contract. A man-made contract, a, a covenant, even men. So this is, a, this is a promise given by God, but let me just bring it into men's terms for you. He says, he says let's say there's a contract. So let me paint this picture for you. Let's say uh, my wife and I, Stephanie, we, we, we came up with, uh, 
a last will and testament. You know what that is? That means if something happens to us, we write down and we document where our stuff goes, basically. And so let's say we, we wrote a last will and testament, and uh, we decided that uh, we're going to leave our house, and we're going to leave our cars, and we're going to leave our money uh, to our oldest son, Dominic. And Dominic's like, whew, yeah, score, baby, right? So, so let's say we write this down, and we say, okay, everything's going to go to Dominic. And uh, a, a tragic thing happens, and something happens to us, and, and uh, Dominic has to go to court. And so he goes into the court. And uh, the judge is standing there. He says, Dominic Michael Darcy, yes, sir. He says, okay, uh, here's your parents' last will and testament. He takes the letter, and he opens it up. And he says, it shows here that the promise was made to you that you would receive the house, you would receive the Jeep, you would receive uh, the money, and you get it all. All of it's yours. And then he Pounds his gavel and says, it's been decided. That's it. And so the decision has been made. Dominic starts to walk out of the courtroom. The, the will and testament has been folded up and added back to the folder and closed and set to the side. And right before Dominic walks out, the judge stands up and says, hey, oh, oh, you know, wait just a minute. You know what I'm going to do? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and add to that. It, you can get all that stuff as long as you go to college. And not only do you have to go to college, but you can get that stuff as long as you maintain a 3.0. And you're going to have to major in ministry and one day become a pastor at LifePoint Church and take over. That's how you're going to get the stuff. Let me ask you a question. Does the judge have a right to add to that? No. Paul's saying even a man-made promise cannot be annulled. It can't be void. It can't be added to. And so here's, here's the deal, it is, is in the same way God comes to Abraham in Genesis and makes a promise. He makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes an agreement with him. And the promise is that he's going to bless the world. He's going to save men and women through Christ, through faith. And so God, he makes a promise of an inheritance. He says, one day through you, through Christ, an inheritance is coming to my people. And this is an inheritance that comes through Jesus alone, through faith alone. This is an inheritance of salvation. This is an inheritance of you being justified and made right before me. This is an inheritance of you having right standing before God. This is an inheritance of your sins being washed away and you being blessed. And the whole world would be blessed through faith alone. And that's the promise that he makes to Abraham. And Abraham believed the the promise through faith, and it says that it was counted to him as righteousness through his faith. And so Paul's point in this text is just simply saying this, 430 years before the commands were even given by Moses, God had ratified a promise of salvation to Abraham and to the whole world by faith alone. You can't add to it. You can't, you can't nullify the promises of God. He made the promise that it comes through faith. So let me make that clear to you. God does not save you through your behavior modification. 
He doesn't save you by you doing better or cleaning yourself up or somehow start going to church or doing these religious things. God does not save you through you being better or cleaning up your life. You being more and more obedient to the commandments of God cannot save you. You hear that? It cannot save you because this just said that God promised his inheritance comes through faith. You can't add to it. And that is what's Paul trying to say to the Galatians. He says, don't you see that if we're saved by faith alone, you can't add to that 430 years after the promise was given. It doesn't even make sense. Paul's argument, he says, if you could be saved by keeping the commandments, if you could be saved by cleaning yourself up, what you're doing is you're making God a liar. You're saying, God's promise doesn't matter. I'm going to do my own thing. And he says, don't make God a liar. His promise is faithful and true. And Paul's argument is saying, God already gave the promise. You can't change the promise. You can't add to the promise of salvation through faith. You can't add rules when it comes to salvation. Now, if you're a thinker, and I bet that some of you are, you're thinking, okay, well, if keeping the commands doesn't save us, right? If my right standing before God is not based on my behavior or keeping the commandments, then why in the world would God even give the law? You ever ask that? I mean, why, why, why would God even give the rules then? Well, verse 19 is going to help us out. It says... Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Everyone say transgressions. It was added because of transgressions. Now, that's a, that's a really fun theological word, you know, for all you Bible thumpers. But really what it means is sin. It says the law was added for sin. And I know you're not really into the Greek, but let me tell you what this original text says. It says that the law was given so that transgressions might increase. The law was given so that sin might increase. Are you saying that God wants us to sin more? No, he's saying the law was given so that your awareness of your sin would increase, so that you would see how, how desperate you are, how, how wicked you actually are. God gave the law so that we would become more and more and more aware of our own sin. Now, let me explain to you how that looks. Everybody loves God until God says something. You know what I mean by that? I, I mean, nobody has a problem with God until God speaks. I, I mean, because when God speaks, it actually lays us bare. When God says something, it shows us our, our wickedness. It, it, it's, it's like it reveals us. And so nobody has a problem with God until God says, thou shalt not fill in the blank. And now we're busted, right? I mean, God is great until he starts telling me what to do and what not to do. And, and so what happens is, is we say, you know, uh, you know uh, sin, I'm going to sin. And God is like, hey, you, you shouldn't walk that way. You shouldn't go that way. The law is given to show you that that is wicked. And then we say, who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? I mean, who are you to call me out? I mean, you can't, you can't tell me. Do you see how sin increases then? 
how sin actually leads to sin because we actually belittle God and say, I don't care what you say. I don't care what your word says. I don't care what the path of life you're trying to lead me in. I'm gonna do my own thing. And that's sin increasing to more sin. And, and, so, and so here's the deal. We need the law because the law calls us out. We need the law so, so we don't create our own levels of righteousness. Listen, if we don't have the law, you know what we do? You know what we do? Is we make our own rules. And we make our own law. We make our own commands. We make ourselves a, a list of what's right and what's wrong based on our bents and our brokenness and my tendencies. And my law might actually change depending on the day or my mood. Well, that's okay today because I'm just hangry. Well, that's okay today because, you know, I just had a bad day so I can lash out. And so we say, oh, it's okay because I make my own righteousness. I make my own law. And so I live by my law. You live by your law. As long as our two law space bubbles don't interact, you could do whatever you want and be fine. Ever been there? Ever see that? And so that's what happens. And so God's law comes as a spectacular diagnostic. It begins to put you to the test. Well, let me explain to you this way. I bet that everyone in this room thinks they're a good person. I mean, you probably think you're a good boy. I mean, I'm pretty good. And I know there's probably a few of you that have that, that Eeyore complex. And you're like, whoa, is me. I'm just horrible. But I would say probably for the most part, most of us think that we're pretty good people. And let me tell you why you believe that. You don't believe that because you're comparing yourself to God's standards. You believe that because you're comparing your greatness to someone else's wickedness. That's what you're doing. And you begin to look around and you begin to test your strengths and you say, hey, look how awesome I am because that dude's a mess. Look at how great I am because that dude's a train wreck. Look at how awesome. And so you begin to compare your strengths to someone else's weaknesses, and that's why you think you're a good person. You, you, you say, you know, I'm not perfect, but I don't gossip like she gossips, except for right now when I'm gossiping about her. I mean, I, I'm not perfect, but, but, but you, know, give me, give me, you know, give me some slack here. I mean, I'm not like that guy. I'm not as bad as him. I don't treat my wife like that. I don't do those things. Listen, I'm not perfect, but I'm not incarcerated. I haven't gone that far. So you know what? I'm comparing my strengths to someone else's weakness or someone else's failure. And the standard of our goodness becomes based on somebody else rather than what God says. We base our holiness based on what we've set up rather than his law. So hear me. The commandments of God are given to shatter your self-righteousness. The law of God is given to break through your self-righteousness. Now listen to me, because most of the time we use self-righteousness for the religious, but that's not it. I mean, it could play itself out that way. But, but self-righteousness, this, this is the definition, is simply a belief that says, I need no other savior but myself. And sometimes that plays out in a religious way. You know what? I can do this law. I cannot lie. I cannot covet. I can actually bend myself in a way that I can compete the law. So I don't need a savior. I don't need Jesus. Or self-righteousness is for the guy that says, you know what? I don't need God. I'm my own God. I make my own rules. I do my own thing. I go where I want to go. I don't need him. I don't care about him. I'm going to do my own thing. Now listen, both of those people are self-righteous. 
Both of them are saying, my righteousness is not found in anyone else but me. That is self-righteous. In the same way that the guy who, who reads his Bible and comes to church religiously, but doesn't know or love or surrender by faith to Jesus Christ is self-righteous. The same way the person who does whatever he wants, goes where he wants, is justified by himself, is self-righteous. And, and so... And so the law isn't going to put up with that. The law is going to smack your self-righteousness right in the face. The, the law is going to crush the idea because God's going to bring in his law things that I don't do very well. Amen? I mean, the law is going to come and it's going to confront me right where I am. And the law reveals that everyone is in the same light. We are sinners in need of grace. The law brings us to a point where, where we have all fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not even one. The law is a spectacular diagnostic that shows you that you are sick beyond your own repair. You're more broken than you thought. You don't measure up. The law brings to the fact that God's holy standard is immeasurable and possible for us. The law convicts us. The law weighs on us. The law terrorizes us. Hear me, the law is weighty. The law is hard. But, but look in verse 19 again. It says that the law was added in order to increase our awareness of sin. The law was added because of transgressions. Now give me the next word. Until. Everyone's saying until. And so here's what's happening right here. Here's the good news. The law was not meant to terrorize you forever. The law was not meant to be weighty forever. The law was given so that our awareness of sin might increase until. Until. When does the law, when does sin, when does the weight stop being so weighty? When does that stop? What does it say? Until when? Until the offspring shall come to whom the promise has been made. Let me ask you this. Who's that? Jesus. Okay, okay, look right at me. The law was meant to convict and bring weight until Jesus. And hear me, the law will always feel condemning to you. The law will always feel weighty for you. The law will always be burdensome for you until you come to faith in Jesus and his perfect work. Amen. It will always feel like a weight. You know, I, I hear people all the time, I don't go to church, I don't do that church thing. Because you know what church is about? Church is about rules and regulations and commandments. And I, every time I go, I just feel so weighty. I just feel like I'm beaten up. I just feel like I can't measure up. And so, you know what, I just avoid it. Because when I go there, the law terrorizes me because it's all about rules. Listen, listen to me. It will always feel weighty for you until you know Jesus. The law will always feel weighty. Listen, this is not about rules. It's not about, it's not about commandments. It's about Christ. And it's about having faith in Christ. Listen, I will always be convicted and condemned through the law until 
Christ. This is about freedom through faith. And so we need Jesus. The law was given to reveal your wickedness. It should reveal your wickedness. The law was given to, so that we would finally come to a point where we could put our hope in Jesus Christ. Kind of finally bring us to a point where we trust in his righteousness. And this text just said, the time of living under the condemnation of the law is over. For those who have faith in Jesus, it's over. He says, he says, he says, don't you see how weighty that is? Paul is pleading with us, rest in Christ. He made a promise. He has an inheritance for you. Would you just rest in that? Would you stand in that? Would you receive that? Would you humbly submit yourselves through faith in Christ? Don't let the law weigh you down anymore. Come and live in his righteousness. Come and live in his hope. Rest in his arms. Rest in his finished work. Listen, that's the offer that's on the table for us. Rest in Jesus all right, let's finish up verse 20. It says, there's one coming to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary or, or a mediator. Now, a mediator or intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Let me explain that to you. So, so the law comes through Moses. And Moses is a horrible mediator, by the way. So there's a problem between the people and God. And the people are there in, in the desert. And, you know, they cross through. They're out of the problem. You come, come out of Egypt, right? And they're there. And, 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 and they have a problem with God. They don't want to talk to God. God is holy. God is righteous. God is big. And they're like, okay, I don't want to go. Moses, you go talk to God. You go mediate for us. Moses goes up the mountain, and he comes down with two giant tablets called the commandments. And so he comes down, and, 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 so, and so he doesn't mediate for the people, because you know what a mediator does? A, a mediator is someone who comes and he tries to reconcile between two parties. That's what he says. This usually involves more than one. So if you have a problem with this person, I'm going to come. I'll mediate for you. I'll try and help you reconcile the difference. And so Moses comes with a law. Moses shows up and makes it worse. How does he make it worse? He comes down with the law and he says, hey, you shouldn't uh, worship any other gods besides the one and true God. And they're over there worshiping a golden calf. Well, right, we're busted, right? Okay, uh, you shouldn't lie. You shouldn't do these things. No, uh, God says this, and all of a sudden, all the people are convicted. So Moses shows up, and he makes it worse because he actually says, you're doomed, good luck. He doesn't give any way to be saved. He doesn't bring reconciliation between the people of God. He just brings more rules. Moses doesn't give us a way to be saved. He just points out that we're in a really, really, really big mess. Now, what this text just said is that the good news is that God doesn't send angels with the gospel. God doesn't send angels to be our mediator. God doesn't send Moses to be the mediator. God doesn't send priests to be the mediator. God doesn't give rules to be the mediator or the reconciler. God himself is the mediator. 
The problem is between us and God, and God himself becomes the mediator. God himself becomes the reconciler. See, God comes in the flesh through Jesus Christ to reconcile his people back to himself through his own death and blood. He says, I'm going to reconcile you to myself. Jesus brings the gospel straight to us. He doesn't send us more rules or another message. He says, I'm bringing it straight to you. And the, and the Bible says that there is one mediator, one mediator between God and men, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now watch this because it, it, it ends big. Verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could somehow give life, if a law was given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. He says, don't you see? There's not a law in the land that could somehow bring you back to life. There is not a law, there is not a rule that you can keep in your entire life that would somehow bring the dead to life. If that were true, then of course we could do it by the law, but God's not a liar. He is faithful and true, and he's come through faith. Look at what it says. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise, everyone say promise, the promise that's given by faith. Everyone say faith. So the promise that comes by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. He says that all things, all actions, even righteous ones, are imprisoned under sin. All things includes religious activity that doesn't come from faith. The Bible says that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not come out of a heart of faith, even good morals, even good activities are sin if it doesn't come from faith. So if your why you do what you do does not rooted in faith in Jesus Christ, listen to me, it's sin. Because the law imprisons every action under sin that doesn't come from faith. So if the reason for your why is not faith, it's sin. If the reason why you keep any of the commandments is not rooted in Christ, it's sin. If the reason why you go to church is not rooted in your faith and love for Jesus Christ, it's just a sinful action. Confession, communion, all of those religious behaviors that we've been taught. Listen, if it doesn't come from faith in Christ, it's of not. It does nothing. And so all things are imprisoned under the law so that we might find the only salvation, the only solution in Jesus Christ. Our only hope is in Jesus your only refuge is in Jesus. Your only chance is not through hanging on and white-knuckling this thing, but letting go and giving yourself to Jesus. As the band comes up, I just want to close with a few questions. If you were honest, 
some of you, you're here and you've been judging your goodness based on other people's weakness. Some of you, you've been trying to hang on so tight and you realize that you've fallen over and over and over again. And you've been looking around and saying, you know what, I'm not really that bad because I see other people that are worse than me and I'm not comparing myself to the righteousness of God, I'm actually comparing myself to others. I know some of you are very religious, but if you're honest, the law is haunting you. The law feels weighty for you. If you're honest, you'd, you'd say, you know what, the commands of God, I just, I just feel so inadequate. Listen, I'm telling you today, rest in his promise. Rest in Jesus. Take the weight off and lay it down at the foot of the cross and saying, I'm not, I'm no longer clinging and trying and striving on my own ability. I'm not going to continue to just simply white knuckle to do what's right or wrong. Today, I'm clinging to the promises and the inheritance of God that comes through faith in Jesus. Just simply trust his promise for you. Don't be shackled any longer. Don't be entangled by the weight of the law. Be set free. Some of you are here today and you're just allowing sin to increase by just simply hardening your heart and saying, Pastor, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want. Listen, that is sin leading to sin. And your stubbornness is leading you into a heart away from God. Listen, for whatever reason, you are obsessed with being your own God. You are obsessed with going over the ramp again and again. I'm going to do it this time. And your self-righteousness is killing you. But the invitation is come. Come to Jesus. Come to faith. Give your life to him. Allow him to wash you clean. Allow him to forgive you. Allow him to, to present you holy and blameless and without approach. Let him give you a new life. Let him set you free from the weight of the law. The truth is, is that every one of us have fallen short. Every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us have turned to his own way. But Jesus came and he lived the life that you and I cannot live. And he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And in his death, he takes all of our unrighteousness upon himself. He takes all of the wrath of God towards us upon himself. And he gifts us his righteousness. And he says, pure, holy. Will you receive that promise today? Will you stand in that promise today? Will you allow your life to be showered with his promise that doesn't return void, that are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can't add to it or take away to it? All we can do is receive it and stand in it. Say, Jesus, I trust you. I 
trust your promises. No matter what I'm seeing, no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm saying, listen, I want to stand in your promise. And listen, if you're not doing that, today's your day. Today can be a new start for you. Today, will you stand in the gospel? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you, broken, imperfect, scars and wounds from all the ways we've fallen. But Jesus, today, I pray that I would once again, or for the first time, put my faith completely in you and your promise. You have an inheritance that's waiting. You have a promise that is to be received by faith in Christ. And today, I'm throwing everything else to the side. No longer depending on righteousness or myself. I want to depend completely on you. If that's your prayer, would you just pray to him right now? If that's where you're at, will you just simply whisper with your lips or cry out with your mouth and let it come from your heart and say, Jesus, I need you. I want your promises in my life. I want to stand on that foundation and nothing else. Oh, Jesus, come. Oh, Spirit, come. Father, come. As a great mediator, will you meet us right here? Would you wash us clean? Oh, God, we beg you. Oh, Jesus. Father, forgive us of all the ways that we've made you a liar. And tried to hang on tight enough on our own strength. But today, we want you. Please, Jesus, in your name, amen.